0: Everyone, to the CavsCorner.com podcast. CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place of Franklin Estates in the West End of Richmond on Wednesday, March the 30th. Instead of being somewhere in and around Houston, um, I'm at home. And so are the Cavaliers after a very disappointing end uh, to their NCAA tournament run. Uh, we will no doubt get into that. Um, we are not trying to make you relive it or anything like that. But we do. there are some things to talk about. Uh, and what kind of podcast would we be if we, if we didn't touch on some of that? So it's probably in our best interest to do that, right? Okay, that's what's going to happen. Um, we're also going to touch on spring football, which has been a topic that we have not touched on to this point and i'm not sure how much in depth we can really go because you know quite frankly there's just not a whole lot that the public or media are able to see other than the little bits and pieces that the that the football um um the, i don't want to say department like the uh, sports information department puts out on the um uva football facebook page and all that fun stuff so anyway we'll get into all that let's go around and introduce everybody out in waynesboro david spence is back with us dave welcome back to the podcast sir
1: thank you brad (laughs) david spence who days on the board at who Dave's on twitter i think i messed that up but go ahead
0: that's okay (laughs) uh staff writer justin ferber is (laughs) also back with us tonight welcome back sir Thank you,
2: sir. At Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter.
0: And Cavs Corner is also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for our in-game updates, content items, uh, and the occasional witty banter. Um, also, I guess I should plug... everyone. I've never plugged the Facebook. F- check us out on Facebook. CavsCorner.com there, too. All right. Um, where do we start with uh, with what happened the other night? I, I'm, I'm not really sure where to get into it. I, I think... I think the ni- the last three days have been uh, well, I guess two days and some change at this point. Uh, catharsis, right? You you kind of the further you get away from it. I mean, I'm not saying it's easier to stomach, but I do feel like the further we get away from it, the easier it is to kind of put it behind you. Uh, certainly helps that Virginia has arguably been its best recruiting class coming in. Um, not to mention two guys on the bench who have redshirted, who fe- who probably will be significant pieces of the puzzle next year. Um, it definitely feels like uh, a changing of the guard. Um, not to not to plug something that I wrote, but um, I just think that's the most apt description. What have the last couple of days been like for you, Dave? What? How how have uh, how have you been able to start to think about turning the page? What's that been like for you? It's I me. Mean, it's been
1: weird. I mean, we obviously we, we haven't finished the season as a national champion, so we've dealt with this a lot. Um, this year is just different and you know a lot to do with the fact that despite what we have coming in there there is a huge a huge amount of proven talent leaving the program um and it wasn't and it's one of those games where you didn't have 40 minutes to kind of come to the senses that it might happen it was kind of oh this okay this is going to happen oh my god what just happened so it was it's really weird like and normally, after a loss, I'm I'm pretty inconsolable. This game, it was just different. Not I, I think the most most casual fans will understand what I'm trying to say. It's just I didn't want to be on Twitter. I didn't want to be on Facebook. I didn't want to answer any phone calls, see any text messages. I mean, I just needed time to kind of process it because it it seems so abrupt. Um, and all at the same time, the Virginia fan in is like, yeah, yeah, I figured that would happen. So it's it's been a rough couple days. I mean, I've tried to avoid this Topic. Each day it gets a little bit easier, um, you know. Having Cal guy on the McDonald's All American, you know, three point shootout and all that stuff. Then the next night was, I think it was the next night. Yeah, the next night was. It certainly helped the you know getting over it. Um, and I thought I was pretty much over it until some random person came in the store today and started blaming it on the coaching. Um, kind of oh. got me kind <laughs> of fired up again. And here we are now. I got to talk about it. Thanks. Appreciate it.
0: <laughs> I do what I can, Ferber. What about you? I mean, other than obviously going to work and living life a little bit. But what? How, how have you tried to to get past the other night? How have you processed it? What, you're you're generally a uh, you're you're very much in that Tony Bennett don't get the highs to get too high, lows get too low kind of person. Um, how tough was it, and what's it been like the last couple of days?
2: Uh, I was. I mean, the first like hour afterwards, I was kind of just shocked. Um, I don't know how else to put it. Even if I didn't care about the teams, I'd probably still feel the same way. Just watching that happen was kind of staggering. Um, but the further I got away from it, and even when it was happening, um, until I started to read more about, like, how people felt about the game, my opinion was more like Syracuse just kind of went out and took it, than it was like this epic collapse or whatever that's, you know, being made out to be, which I guess it is, but, um... So I was like, "Wow, I can't believe they just did that." Um, Obviously, time heals all wounds. Um, But I mean, I I just haven't, like Dave said, I haven't really gone out and tried to like relive the moment. Like you know, you just kind of move on. Um, Everybody's season ends. There's only four teams playing right now. So um, I mean, once the season's over, you kind of move on, and you know, a few months from now, we'll be thinking about a totally different sport. And then, and then basketball will just creep up on you like it always does. Yeah, um,
0: <laughs> I want to bring some some levity to this a little bit, but I also I think this is just this might be interesting because all right, so wasn't able to go to Chicago. Was totally planning to go to Houston if if, if UVA made it there, but I went ahead and did something I never do, and I did this for the Iowa State game. So don't blame it on me. Um, although I'm pretty sure that I put the kid just the kid went to sleep. The 20 month old went to sleep like. I'm I'm not kidding you. Like 30 seconds before, the bottom fell out, <laughs> and I've talked to my sister and a whole bunch of other UVA people who all did something weird that day. So I think everybody can collectively take take uh, ownership of it. Anyway, I I, I don't normally keep stats um, when I'm watching from home. Normally when I'm watching from home, I'm I'm not really worried about a game story or writing anything like that. And then I worry about that like on the when I do the weekend wrap. Um, for this I wanted to go ahead and do, you know, my normal like if I what I would do if I was in the building, right? So I, I did it for the Iowa State game and then I did it again for uh the Syracuse game. And I'm not kidding, like I can look back at it now cuz I, I was looking at it when I was writing my column Monday morning. But like I can tell exactly when I realized that this thing was over. <laughs> I can look at my writing and tell you. Uh it was it was the three-pointer with four uh excuse me it was the uh, yeah, it was a three pointer with four thirty seven left from Richardson that put them up four um i I, I don't know I, I don't know if I've ever been able to look at my writing and go, yep, I know exactly what was happening right then. Um, I kind of agree with ferber in a lot of ways, like it did at the time kind of feel like Syracuse was just coming after it. um the problem that I had with that and I t- I, like I texted you guys and put in the column, like Virginia definitely played into it, and so in a way. you you do you are left kicking yourself it's very strange because like this isn't a situation where it was like oh well you had the lead and then somebody like you know you know fell down the ball trickled out of bounds like this thing happened over the course of several minutes of action and at any point the thing could have been stopped you know if you think about it like all these things had to happen exactly the way they happened for, for it to go down the way it did um and you just realize just like how, how intricate this all is. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have a comeback like that. I mean, I, I think I do think it's a big deal that Syracuse scored twelve points in the two minutes and fourteen seconds between before Hall uh gave them that um uh nine point lead with seven thirty-three left. I mean I really believe that they were – it wasn't just the press. It wasn't just Virginia not making shots. It wasn't just them, um, you know, going thinking they were going to do something against Syracuse that they did against Iowa State. It was the fact that Syracuse was ready. Like, they were primed. Um, And I think that's significant because Virginia has a pretty good defense. And hell, they might border on even better than that. But you don't you don't put on this kind of run unless you've got momentum, and I don't necessarily mean in terms of just the game. I'm talking about like those guys offensively were in a groove, um, and I think most of the time when a team loses a lead like that, that's not how it happens. How it happens usually is it's it's bits and pieces. It doesn't just come on like an onslaught. Um, and I think that was the yeah. piece that was so kind of shocking to me. But I also think, and let me let me throw this out there, and you guys. Tell me what you think, but I I mentioned this. I kind of I kind of came up with this theory while I was on the on Greg Burton show on in, on Tuesday. I almost feel like Virginia's offense, because they weren't pulling the ball back and being the team that they normally are. That essentially what you saw from Virginia's defense wasn't Virginia's defense. And the reason I say that is because Virginia's defense plays the way it plays because its offense plays the way it plays, right? Virginia's offense is very deliberate. They are good at getting good shots, if not great shots. They will work the clock until they have to do that, right? The defense that they were putting out there in those last few minutes suffered because the offense wasn't being itself. So even – like I was all like, you know, like deep thoughts with Brad Franklin that night. Like Virginia didn't lose because the system can't win. Virginia lost because it just it got away from being who, who the Cavaliers are. It's even worse than that because to me at least and you guys tell me what you think like I think that the offense not doing what it normally does it, it take not I don't mean just making shots I'm talking about running the way it normally runs I mean the thing that's really staggering here is that, like Syracuse got these baskets but like look at the time in between these buckets man like they score at uh at 823 at 756 at 737 so you're talking about 20 p- seconds in between some of those possessions right then they go 710 650 636 so you're talking like what is that 23 22 seconds 14 seconds right virginia let's see there's a timeout somewhere in there then there's one uh, 328 uh, 3 it's, it's like 15, 15 16 seconds total and you that's what that so that's like in between Right so you're talking about time for Virginia to have a possession time for Syracuse to have a possession and score like Virginia got away from being who they are and I think that ultimately put them in a position where they just couldn't get the stops they needed
1: yeah I mean I think there's a lot of truth to that um, i I think it goes even further than that and it's something I've talked to a couple people about and I may have mentioned it to you um, it's just watching the game like a lot of times you watch Virginia play and if they get up eight you're like all right this thing's over you know we're just we're locked in. Right. I never once felt we were locked in the entire night, even up 15. And you can kind of see Like, I'm pretty active on Twitter when I feel confident. I don't think I tweeted tw- once the whole second half. because Not because I was nervous. It's just the way we were playing, the results weren't matching what we were doing on the court. We were, I don't think our offense ran smoothly the whole game. We were kind of right on the edge, and we hit a lucky shot and get fouled, or London went sub- you know, went unconscious there for a while. Um, but we weren't doing what we normally do, even when we had a lead. Um, and as soon as as soon as soon they started pressing, um, I was okay with us attacking at, at first. I think the play to me that said, oh, well, we're in trouble is when, and this is not putting on a gill, but when we got the ball underneath the gill and he traveled before he had to dunk.
0: Yeah, he was trying know, to get I to think focus, that would have yeah.
1: pretty much ended it. Um, there was a couple other after that. But that moment, I was like, all right, it's – just like the whole thing that happened at the end was essentially regression to the mean in a 40 minute game. Um,
0: yeah,
1: it's Virginia. wasn't themselves a whole game defensively. I thought Syracuse missed some easy shots. Syracuse was active on the boards early, which surprised me. Um, we, we never did a good job of, you know, getting the ball to the line, you know, high against their zone. We didn't do a good job of big to big passing. We did nothing that we've done well against Syracuse. Um, Accept score and take a leap. And I know that sounds oxymoronic, but it's the truth. I mean, I think I, s- I told you I, th- I thought we were playing on, on Razor's Edge the whole night. And for most of the game, it was coming breaking to our favor. Right. And at the end, none of it did. Um, it, it was tough, man.
0: <laughs> I kind of feel like it, it, it's funny because I thought that what Beheim did with the zone, it, it, I don't think it was as simple as running Brogdon through and there would, you know, magic happens, you know. When Brogdon would go through the middle, to me, everything everything contracted. The you would you you almost you almost had the only way you were really going to be able to do it was if you drove baseline into the defense and then and then pass to him because you had to get motion to you know what I'm saying like you had to get you had to get the the, the sides active because if not they were going to collapse in the middle and they were going to cheat those uh, those those two on the outside down low up. And so it, it kind of ended up being it, it was a two three, but it was almost like a weird version of a two three to me. And so I think one of the thing one of the reasons that I think um, that Perantes had so much room is because they kept Brogdon on the outside. And so instead of him going to the middle and being able to them being able to clog up the lane as well as kind of claw, you know, basically make it hard to, to get the ball to him, I thought using him as almost like a decoy, you know. Using basically, they would react to when at wherever he was, and so Perantes I think was really opened up by that. The thing I'm I'm genuinely just confused by is how Virginia didn't somehow manage to get Anthony Gill more than four shots. Now I know he was in some foul trouble, so I'm not I'm not saying it's not like he played every minute, but it just seemed like to me too often they were unable to like like Dave said, unable to find their comfort level, um, and maybe. Maybe Perante's hitting those threes was kind of a it was kind of fool's gold in a way. But I mean, look, I, Dave might say that he never got comfortable. I look, Darius Thompson hit that three with like 10 minutes to go and I, st- I went back to orbits and started looking up flights. Um because I mean, you kind of have to be quick on the trigger for that.
2: But I just I, I don't know. So it's know. your fault. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but I felt the same way. That was like I kind of like I'm with Dave. I never once felt like, "All right, this game's over." The two times where I thought I came the closest were They scored, Gill scored to start the half to make it 37 21. And I was like, all right, they came right out and scored. That's a great sign. And Thompson's three, where like Syracuse is going on like a little bit of a run. And I think that pushed it to like 13. And I was like, all right, all right, they're not coming back from this probably. Yeah, but I I still didn't think it was like done. Yeah, that was a, and
0: and, I mean, I understand that. Uh, Like I said, they didn't look comfortable. I thought, you know, Richardson hitting that three. At 11.43, um, really just ign- – I mean, he just – he did. He just caught fire. And he's a tough matchup in some ways because it's almost like he's not a stretch four, but he kind of is because of his athleticism. Does that make sense? Like, Ingram isn't – I mean, I don't know what the hell you what do you even call Brandon Ingram um, other than just a basketball player. But, like, it reminded me so much of that game. Like, all out of nowhere, you're just like, oh, you know, like, oh, you want to do this. Um, I, I thought, you know, they, they, you know, they moved Brogdon over to him and then he just ices him. I mean, just that, that move, that little subtle fake in in, in his motion, you know, froze one of the best defenders in Virginia history. Um, and if a guy like that's going to do that on a night in a game like that, what are, you, what are you supposed to do? You know, all you can do is make him earn. And I, I didn't think that, that, that all of the points in the runs were earned, but some of them were. Um, it was just a, it was just the, the veracity of it, you know, um, that that caught my attention, or I guess surprised me. Um, looking back on it too, I, like I said, I, Virginia has always struggled to take advantage of post advantage, take advantage of their post um, ability, um, and none more evident. I, I understand it's a two three zone. We made jokes about you know planting a guy at the end on Virginia and just letting him eat, but man, like. How many times did that really happen? Like, I just feel like that was something that they could never find a way to do. Um, and too often in his in his Virginia career, Anthony Gill was very, very underfed. You know, there are just too many times, uh, and I don't know if it's a function of Virginia plays a slower pace, and therefore he there aren't as many possessions, and so there aren't as many touches to go around. But, man, I really hope in the future when you have a guy like an Austin Nichols that you figure out a way to get him the dang ball. I mean – the guy needs to, you know, you got to be able to play inside out. And, and I felt like as much as Virginia talked about playing inside out this season, I just never got the sense that they were really doing it. Everything had to be created on the perimeter. Um, and that was good sometimes and not good other times. Um, I think the games when Virginia looked their best, like in the um, Notre Dame game, for example, um, is when they played inside out and they made a team choose. Um, but they kept, they kept working it. And kept making them choose, and I thought they did that at times against Iowa State. They just didn 't do it enough in this game, and maybe that 's just a credit to, to Syracuse having you know some really good talent. Um, I think Tyler Lydon was a difference maker for them. Um, this would have been a game you know there's been lots of conversation on the board about you know not having Justin Anderson this season, what it would have been this would have been this would have been a game where he would have made a difference. not all of the losses would have been um, sometimes you needed you needed more um, off-the-dribble kind of scoring. And Justin was just not that guy. What he was was somebody who could really make some big plays for you um, on the back side of a... Uh, you know, on the help side. And he would have he would have made some... It made a real difference in this game, especially because you could have moved some things around and he would have given you somebody else to uh, to throw at either Richardson or even to stick on on uh, Benajay or Leiden. I mean, you would have had a lot of options with him and Brogdon together, and I think when I look back at the season, I don't think about that aspect much, but I do think we really, it really is unfortunate. We didn't get to see those two guys playing together because heaven help you trying to figure out how to, how to beat Virginia when, when both of them are playing defense, but. Yeah. I mean, it's just,
1: I think our reactions after the game are pretty similar to kind of what the game was. And, you know, my reaction after the game, I mean, I still think, everything that happened, it's explainable. And I don't think it's an indictment of the guys or, or the game. It's just, it's not like Syracuse was your typical double digit seed. You know, they were playing with house money and, and they looked relaxed and we didn't at the end. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's, yeah. And I was impressed with the way that Syracuse had to take advantage of the mistakes we made. And, and a lot of times they took advantage of us, not making mistakes and just made plays. And you know, it's not like they're you know, George Mason from a few years ago, <laughs> they're, they're a program that was under and should have still beaten them, but you can understand why we lost. And that doesn't make it better because I, I still think, and someone asked this on the board, like, for me, it's the worst loss I can remember. Um, not because it's – maybe it doesn't make any sense that I, that I feel that way, but you know, it just seemed all so set up, you know, with Michigan State falling, you know, you're up 15 late in the game. Um, chance to go to the Final Four against... And there's not like a big Kentucky standing in the way in the Final Four either. You know, it's it's teams that you've beaten except for Oklahoma. So it all felt so right, and then it's just gone. Um, for me, it was my worst loss as a UVA fan. And sorry, Red, if you're going to ask that question. Um, it just was. Not so much because of... I don't know if it's true that it absolutely was because... There's been some, you know, the loss to Georgia Tech and football certainly, you know, to this day haunts me. But back in 1990, after the game was over, I turned the TV off. I went and did something else in my normal life. Now your normal life revolves around constant streams of information. You can't really (laughs) get away, you know, without doing something abnormal. Yeah, that's true. It's it's just, it's so much harder now. Um, Can you imagine, like, can you imagine Twitter in 1990 after that game? all your hokey friends that have been quiet all year because you're doing well, (laughs) like you wouldn't have been online for, for days. And you just can't do that anymore. So just given the time we live in, this was a really tough loss. And, you know, given the fact that you're losing, you know, Anthony and Malcolm and Evan and Toby, um, you know, it's a lot of talent leaving. Um, but I think for the pessimistic Virginia fan, it's scary. This is kind of where we're in a situation where, even though we kind of went through the turnover with the kill, even in Joe, We've always had the same core here for this big run of success. Um, you know, the programs that have staying power are ones who go class to class, and this is next year will be our first true class to class. And, you know, London will be there, but largely he'll be the only. If I'm correct, he'll be the only person on the roster. Um, you know, from the original ACC tournament team.
0: Well, not the roster. He'll be the only one who played. Yeah, Devin was on the roster. Yeah. Okay. Um, Um,
1: So I mean, that's kind of what what we do the next couple years. Kind of answers whether we were just had a good four years or whether we're a good program. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is the this is the spot where where you learn um, what the program is really made of, and it's weird to say that because they you know recruited these guys and developed these guys, Um, but this is yeah this is the spot because you you do look like you're you're reloading. Um, you're not rebuilding. You're reloading. You've got you've got a guy coming in, you know that that has five star talent that has clearly showed it at the college level. You've got um, some really talented young kids coming in the program, and I think you've got a couple of your you know it's not like the cupboard's bare. You've still got your point guard. You've still got um, several of your perimeter guys. Um, you know I I, I think the Virginia has a lot of pieces. I have no idea where to put them in the pecking order for next season. But I do know that like Dave is saying, like this is the spot where you learn whether or not you you got a real program or not. Um, I I do find it interesting, Dave, you made that point about the, uh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) what would you have gone and done in 1990? Let me tell you what happens when you run a website. Um, (laughs) You go from, I mean, literally in like five minutes there, right? Um, (laughs) I went from thinking about like, all right, content wise, like what are people going to want to hear about this? You know What, There'll be there'll be a press conference, there'll be video. Um I was wondering if, you know, there was gonna be some type of media availability on Monday. Um I'm thinking about all this stuff and then like in the blink of an eye, everything's gone. And suddenly I'm like, Oh shit. Pardon my friend. But like, ah oh, man what? Like now I have to deal with like post apocalypse message boards, right? Where essentially, like, if you go, if you, listen, if you went on that message board Sunday night, you went with a purpose, right? You went with a specific reason. You went to light some stuff up. And essentially, it was like, let me burn my couch um, in, in text form. Um, yeah, it wasn't, yeah, I, I, I would rather not have had that in 1990, that's for sure. Um, Ferber, you've been very quiet lately. Dave and I have kind of monopolized this whole uh conversation um what how do you turn the page ferber what do you are you already kind of looking forward to to next year um how how have you how has that process worked for you
2: you sort of don't have much of a choice now (laughs) um Yeah. yeah yeah i'm looking forward to it i mean it'll be interesting to see like what a different group of guys can do uh i'm not gonna lie i don't think it's gonna i don't think they're going to the elite eight next year i'm not gonna rule it out but it would be the most, it would and, be the most and i think one thing. of the lessons you can take away from this is like and the baseball run to the title is that you think you have everything figured out like everything lines up a certain way um like look at look at this kansas team i mean they were in the same yeah, position basically right. yeah um you think like oh this is the year like we're gonna I mean, three years ago, people were saying, like, this is the year that they're going to do it. It, Like, this is the year that it sets up, right? And last year, they ended up being better than people thought. And then this year, they kind of had some struggles that they didn't even have last year. But they still ended up making it to the Elite Eight. But, I mean, maybe, like, you don't know. Maybe, like, next year's the year, and it just, they make it as a five seed. Um, Maybe it's four years from now, and they're the last team in the field. Like, who knows? Um, I mean, Syracuse basically was. (laughs) They were barely in. Um And I mean, I think any of their fans would have been lying to you if they thought after they lost to Pitt in the ACC tournament on Wednesday that they were going to be in the Final Four, much less even the tournament, a lot of them. Um, But that's what I mean. I mean, you can go ahead and look at it next year and say there's going to be a drop off or, you know, these guys are going to come in and make a difference. But it's kind of hard to project, especially like, you know, you play a 30 game season, a three game, if you're lucky, ACC tournament, and then the season starts (laughs) all over again, basically. You reset. Um, and I think that's kind of how people like, and this is why whenever we do the preseason show, I'm always hesitant to make projections about how deep I think they're going to go in the tournament because it's all depending on who you play. Like Michigan State, that was a great team. I mean, they won the Big Ten tournament title. Um, they lost their first game with a great like scene, like basically they were UVA just like flipped. It was just another group of dudes just like UVA's group and they lost their first game. So it's kind of hard to just be like. You know, it's all riding on one individual game in a a single elimination tournament. But, I mean, overall, like I I said at the beginning, but, I mean, it'll be fun to kind of have, like, a different group of guys. I mean, obviously, we're all going to miss the guys that are gone. And I think that's what made this loss so hard is that you knew that, for one, it's, like, tough to see them go out that way. And also, you don't know how easy it's going to be to recapture this. So, I mean, that makes it even harder. But I think, you know, the guys that they have coming in are exciting. I mean, it's an exciting group. Austin Nichols is going to be really good, I think. Um, And then uh, while Tony's been here, you've seen significant improvements in his players that have returned from year to year. Um, So it'll be interesting to see, like, who makes the leap. Does somebody like Mariel become, like, a primary scorer? Um, Does Devin Hall become more of a primary scorer? Does Isaiah Wilkins make a leap like a keel made? Um, so that'll be kind of interesting to see like how that goes. But I mean, you know, when the balls roll out in November, we'll all be excited again, no matter who's out there. Um, just because we, yeah, obviously there's still going to be high expectations and high level of basketball to be played.
1: Yeah, and the guys who complained about this team, like not hand, maybe I was one of them <laughs> not having a lot of emotion on the court. I don't think we're going to have that issue next year.
0: Not at all. Um, one thing I want to touch on before we switch gears a little bit, um, is, um, <clears throat> I mean, we, we've talked a lot about so far tonight about, you know, the way it ended and I kind of want to look ahead a little bit. Um, there's been some conversation in, in various threads about what the team looks like next year. Um, and I'm, I am I kind of, to, to Ferber's point, I, I kind of look at this group, um, what Virginia will have next year and and kind of think, all right, it's it's I mean it would be the most appropriate like UVA thing ever if that's the team that goes to the Final Four um, because you have this this group that that did that did so many good things the winningest senior class in in, in school history um, and you look at the talent makeup and like a, like we we're talking about before you you've got Nichols ready you know just put him in you know what I mean like he just kind of feels like you know he should fit and. I wonder if we should take some of the lessons we learned in January uh, and apply them to this group because, like, I I look, I'm really high on Kyle Guy and the way he fits, and I I do believe that by the time the season comes around, he's going to be a starter or um, a guy that's going to play a lot of big minutes. Maybe I'll prove to be wrong about that, but I really think that he's a special, special talent. But I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, you know, in January, I never would have guessed this Virginia team would have issues on the road that they had. It's very possible that this, this basketball team starts out next season much like the baseball team started out last season, figures it out as they go, and then, and then puts together a run. Um, the way that the talent kind of fits in some ways is interesting. Like, Virginia didn't have a rim protector this year. And I wonder if one of the issues that they continually had late in games is they just didn't have anybody in the middle to do that. And it seems very simplistic, but I also wonder if if it's just one of those situations where the simple answer is the right one. Um, I, I thought late in games, throughout. I mean, there were there were there were these times, you know, here kind of often, like all of a sudden they couldn't get stops, and you're wondering like it just didn't seem like Virginia, and I think that is is something to watch for this for this next season. But I'm I'm like Justin. I, I'm I'm really excited to see some new faces to see what they. You know what 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 the stories are like, how the guys you know fit together. I, I'm really excited about DeAndre Hunter. I think that you know for everything that Evan Nolte gave him, DeAndre is kind of primed for for that kind of role, but maybe in a bigger piece because he is a little bit more bouncy. Um, you know, a much better athlete, but also too, I think he he gives you a couple of things outside of that. Um, you know, in terms of ball handling, in terms of you know, maybe some more consistent three point shooting, um, but I was I feel really bad
1: for that kid, man. He's got like the most overlooked recruit,
0: <laughs> at least in Tony's <laughs> era. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, because everybody wants to talk about the six eleven
1: kid who can shoot. The I feel like th- Billy Barron got talked about more than him.
0: Yeah, but see, the problem with DeAndre too is that he uh, he kind of came on late. He committed, and then you know.
2: Everything. Was I think it's about the timing of his commitment. Yeah, yeah. It was just so, like, thrown in there. Not like, to mention
0: that, like, he committed during the football season when all Virginia fans wanted was a coaching change in football. So, like, nobody was really focused on, like, oh, man, this kid's really good. Virginia got on him late in summer, you know, because it, it wasn't like they were been recruiting the kid for, like, two years or anything. And everybody's already focused on the, the known goods at that point. Um, but, yeah, you're right. But he's going to be – I think he's going to be really good. And. Yeah. I'm excited to, to see you know what that next page is going to look like we'll, we'll be interesting to see what the staff looks like by the time they get there um, but if ever there was a perfect opportunity for them to take a foreign trip and you know spend those extra that extra time together this is the one um, be interested to see what comes out of it I want to spend a a few minutes at least talking about spring football something that uh, we haven't talked oh, god when's the last time we talked football on this show um, probably the higher yeah probably the higher Um I uh I have I am sorry, but I am so I mean even though, you know, we're not getting a whole lot of access, dude. This this whole this whole spring, Bronco and the way he's doing this, I gotta say, it's the most impressive thing I've ever seen. Um in period. In sport. Like in, in my job <laughs> in covering teams in sports. Like I'm not kidding. Like 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 you can even tell like in his comments, like he is genuinely like, whoa, this is This is unexpected. Like, he did not expect these kids to take to this whole, like, no numbers, no Virginia stuff as well as they have. Um, I mean, I understand, you know, things are still a far cry from, like, being good at football. But, like it's really it's it's really smart to me you're all over the place <laughs> that's the worst line of a What? right
1: <laughs> they're so far from being
0: uh, I mean, like there's, there's football the, look, I'm, what I'm talking about is mindset right yeah okay. all right it's like it's like when you it's like when you you know you, you you go to the Marines you know they break you down and build you up together but he's doing it at the same time that like he's getting you physically prepared for actual football so like it's not just like hey let me put you through hell it's like hey let me put you through hell make you go through it together and oh by the way When you start to do football things, you're going to be better at football things. Like I understand that, like a lot of what I'm reacting to has nothing to do with X's and O's of football. Like it don't make you a better linebacker, and it doesn't help you, you know, when you're trying to throw over a cover two. But like, it's just remarkable to me to see a team that has not not won as much as this team has not won, and to make that dude almost gush about them, because you get the feeling that that dude does not gush about anything. Like he is. He is, as matter of fact, and as like, like, like data-driven as anything, and, he's, and he's, he's reacting to, I think, the positive side of what they – because it's that, it's that plentiful. So, to me, that's the takeaway from spring. I don't care what happens from here on. Like, they could say Andrew Brown's a new quarterback, and I'd be like, nope, takeaway from spring is this. Like, to me, like, that in and of itself, the fact that they are ahead of schedule in his estimation, because you know that dude does not grade easily. Does that? I mean, yeah. Am I making sense?
1: Yeah, I mean, I kind of, uh, my takeaway would be very similar, um, slightly on a different path, but the fact that you know, when you, when you're a first year coach at a program that's been bad for quite a while, um, you know, it, it makes sense. You come in spring football is your chance to kind of open up to the public, you know, getting their good graces, show them kind of how you do stuff that's different than others, kind of build your, you know build your fan capital for the, the horrific season you expect to have the first year with someone <laughs> else's players. Right. Right.
0: right.
1: He's given himself no leeway. None. He's like, Oh, we're, we're pretty good. We're going to win. Yeah.
0: yeah he's I like, I like my well. team. And he's like, I like my team. I think we're yeah. going to
1: be good, like, I'm not gonna let you come see practice. We're too busy working on, on the games. I mean, we, we don't, at this point, we don't know that we're going to have a spring game. We may, it may be 20,000 people showing up at Scott stadium and the football teams down at the McHugh. Um, it's 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 certainly you know he like I said the fact that he's willing to to continue at this point to talk about no excuses for performance and that encourages me because I get tired of you know I think we're all tired of you know kind of putting putting a lipstick on the pig um you know accountability and and everything else it is certainly welcome um what I'm most impressed with is just how happy he seems. Now I know we only see him in either. Well, no, <laughs> I That's can't true. pronounce his name. At- Atua is
0: that? Atuaya, Mark.
1: Yeah. His his Twitter account is pretty much the the most access you'll get to Virginia football. Um, and then whatever Virginia Sports TV puts out. But I mean, Bronco, just l- listening to some of the interviews he's done with some other outlets, and maybe your time's coming, Brad. <laughs> the, uh, no, I,
0: I wasted my I wasted my bullet because I did a story for Cavalier Corner Magazine and uh, was specifically told I couldn't use anything on my website because I was the only outlet that was going to talk to him that early. And so, yeah, that, that you know, Yeah, sorry, guys.
1: Yeah, you can just tell, I mean, he seems happy. Like, he seems so – I can't remember who he made the comment to, but he made a comment about how not having – like, faith is a big part of his life, but he liked the fact that it wasn't the main focus. That he's has right he does now does
0: very much seem very released.
1: Yeah, and you, you see him like doing the Easter egg thing, and the, the coaching staff seems to either like each other more than anyone I know in my life, or really good about lying about it. Uh, because I mean, they're literally together every second you see them. Um, it's it's very interesting. So I'm looking forward to getting a chance to see them practice. I mean, here we are. We're what? How? I think five practices in four at least. Four. Yeah, it's four, and. We assume we're going to see a brand new offense, you know, hurry up just like we saw when BYU came here. We know we're going to see a new defense. And no one's really talking about it because of how matter-of-fact he's been.
0: Well, I think part of that is is by design. I, I, it, this is one thing about Bronco we're going to have to keep in mind. And I would tell him this, you know, it's it's just a fact. He did a National Signing Day press conference and didn't talk about recruits. He did a spring ball press conference and he didn't talk about like oh well we like this player here we're gonna do this there we're gonna do this here and yet still said he liked his team and he had a, he already had a good handle on what how good they were gonna be. Um, he is very good at saying a lot and being quotable and also not telling you much in terms of like the things you really want to know. Um, you know you can kind of pay attention to some of of the things he's not saying and and kind of put some some ends together. I think the fact that he moved. Uh, Ruff, Ruffin McNeil from inside linebackers to defensive line tells you everything he th- he knows about this team. Um, I think the fact that he is focused on the trenches. And, I mean, look, I'm not one of these people that thinks, like, coach needs to to say what the people on the message board are saying. But, like, it almost seems like Bronco reads message boards. And, like, it's, like he's gone back two years and read, like, all the things that people complained about. Um, because he kind of – he's speaking to them. Like he talks about in that press conference, you know, you got to, you know, the deficiencies in, on the lines. It's in the trenches. And so it doesn't surprise me that they're that excited to get a kid like Jaron Cohen tonight, uh, a former four-star offensive lineman who has college football experience um, and can play right away. Um, to me, Bronco, you're right, Dave. I think he does seem happier. But I also think he seems freer. And I don't know. It, it, maybe they're the same thing, but to me, I read it as freer, and th- it, I think it's evident in the way that they're recruiting and offering players. And I also think it's evident in like the way that they're interacting. Like I didn't do a whole lot of research, you know, into like what his Twitter feed was like before, what he what those guys put out on social media before. But you get the sense that like the, this is exactly who they want to be, um, and they're doing this thing the way they want to do it, um, and. You're you're right. It's a new offense. It'll be a new defense, um, new special teams, um, and <laughs> you you haven't seen it yet. And though, it just it's almost like you don't need to see you don't need to see a cook actually cook the food to know that when the thing gets to your table, it's going to be pretty good. All you need to know is the bona fides. You know, you can look around the restaurant tail. You know, if the it's one of those things. I think. That's the message I think right now in terms of like he made the comment that he thought it would take him longer to get credibility with the players, and it didn't. And they immediately, right, matter-of-factly, were very, hey, what do we have to do to be good? Because that's what we're going to do. And that, 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 he, that he is seeing that to the point where he wants to comment on it publicly tells me everything I need to know about their effort. And to, this guy has this thing figured out. Like, it might not work, but he knows exactly what he's looking for. And that effort is already at the level he wants it to be, that Will is already there, that they're not having any issues. Like, they haven't had, like, you're not talking about, you know, a, a, a rash of kids leaving the team. You know what? It had, like, two or three uh, flame-outs guys who probably weren't going to be back anyway, who probably shouldn't have had a scholarship in the first place, coming out of high school, if we're going to be honest, you know? And and yet he's he seems very happy with the recruits he's getting. He seems happy with the you know pro prospect uh, the progress of the players in terms of their 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 workouts and stuff. I, I mean that, that that in of itself is, is yeah we've said it before. Me. I
1: mean the, the, you think of the three big couple of biggest recruits of, of uh, Mike's era you know Smoke Quinn and and Andrew they seem to be the three leaders of the of the you know the team right now or three of the leaders right. and fully bought in so that's that's huge
0: we'll give you we'll give you last word on this topic have, have at it
2: <laughs> hey guys if
1: you're still awake
0: hey,
2: yeah if you're doing? still with us yeah um no I mean I pretty much agree with everything you guys have said it, it feels you know kind of refreshing to not hear about you know how they lowered the bar kind of you know like well it's a lot of turnover we'll see what happens um I think he's preparing like, I mean, obviously, totally a new group of players. There's definitely some installation that has to go in this spring, but it almost seems to me like he's kind of acting like, this is my next team. You know what I mean? Like, if he'd still stay to BYU. Um, it's a different group, obviously, different setting, but he's going to prepare them to win the same way. Uh, and, and I think he's probably you know excited to have a different group, a different attitude around the... You know, it's good to be somewhere new and try something different, but... Um, I think he's probably a little bit more free just because, you know, he he feels kind of like broken out of the rituals that he was in. I guess at BYU, eventually, you know, you kind of like, it's like going to the same job every day for eventually you just feel like, man, like I'm running my head up against the wall, even if things are going well. Um, So I think that's got to be kind of refreshing for, and, 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 you know, obviously we don't really know a lot about what's going on behind the scenes and that's fine. Like you said, we'll find out uh, when they kick the ball off in in september so uh i think there's no reason not to be optimistic about it right now Uh, i mean and i think he's probably i i kind of understand why he's optimistic about what he has on the roster because i think there's some talent there so there's definitely some talent at the skill positions um i wasn't sure exactly how matt johns would fit into what he wants to do but i think they'll probably be uh what's the word i'm looking for they'll probably adjust enough to what he can do in this first year anyway and then right. try to figure out where they are next year right. but um I, I mean i think it's all systems go going forward and and we'll just have to see what happens
0: you, you mentioned you mentioned you know making some changes based on whatever he made this one comment that could not have been uh more of a lightning rod to me in terms of just the difference between this this staff and the previous staff he was talking about he was asked about the running backs and he was asked the question essentially like you have a lot of smaller shiftier guys you got you know pre- historically you got the staff has liked guys who were bigger backs and he said BYU's just a starting place and then he said um and I'm paraphrasing here but essentially that like that's the mark of a good teacher to take what you have and make do with it and I th- if you think about how many times Virginia in the past has like essentially tried to take a square peg and fit it into their round hole, you know? I mean, last (laughs) year they they tried to be a smash-mouth team with an offense that didn't have anything to do with that, right? Their defense had strength in places where they essentially just abandoned it. And this is a guy who is telling you straight up, like, listen, we're going to play – we have a style we want to play, but I don't care if we have to tweak some things to based on our talent. Like, that in and of itself wins you another game. I really believe that. I really believe that, like, just that, that simple thing can is, 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 is worth one extra win a season. Being able to understand your limitations. Because you know your personnel better than anybody else. And if you continually put them in a position to fail, they will fail. And, like, it's so, like, rudimentary and yet so, like, brilliant at the same time. So, like, I really believe that that thing was telling to me because i think that is a staff that clearly has a, has a mindset on on building something important and doing it the right doing it doing it in a way that they know works and so to me that one that one little glimpse is better than watching some dude hand off and and run 15 yards um you know it, he approaches the way he built his build is building his program in a very different way and i think what you're seeing from the players and the way they interact with each other and the way that they interacted with the staff on signing day, there's no way to fake all that. There's just not. It's, it, you can tell it's genuine, and I think he's right that these guys were just that hungry. And they just wanted it that bad. So I think that's a uh, pretty good place to, to put a pen in it for this week. I want to thank everybody out there for giving us a listen and supporting the show. I want to thank uh, you guys for, for being here, as always, uh, putting up with me and my um, – I don't know, antics or whatever. <laughs> um, and then, I uh, also want to thank everybody out there for all their support of the site throughout, uh, what I know was, a um, a very, uh, peaks and valleys kind of basketball season. Um, so we will, yeah, sir. turn sir. Elite our-
1: eight disappointment. That's where we are now. Yeah, that's somebody. Yeah, losing, board- losing to Syracuse
2: in the elite eight is just a <laughs> massive disappointment.
0: Somebody posted on the board like, "Hey, could be worse. They could have lost in the first game of the tournament like Michigan State <laughs> did." And I was like, "Yeah, that would not have been fun." So,
2: so like really quickly before we hang up or whatever, just to put this in perspective, um, think about the guys like, and I'm pretty sure he's a senior, but you correct me if I'm wrong. Marcus Georges Hunt. Yeah, uh-huh. so so we're all in agreement. He's a good basketball player. Very good. Had a good college career. Right. Uh, probably pretty endeared amongst the Georgia Tech fan base. I mean, he hasn't done anything out of character or anything that I can think of. They probably like him. Right. Feel like a lot of the same things UVA fans feel about Brogdon or whoever. Right. He he didn't sniff the NCAA tournament in his career. True. And that wasn't his fault. But he never even came close to playing a tournament game. Like he never came close. So think about all the players and all the different teams all over the country who never even come close. Think See about guys played one, right? Right, yeah. Think about two. Um, right. Think about guys like the Valpo players who had great careers, or Monmouth, and they didn't even get in the field um, just because of the way that their league is set up or whatever. And and then just think about where UVA was just a few years ago, where guys like uh, Sammy Zaglinski and and those kind of like they never got to play in the tournament. Um, And this team made deep runs. And they made deep runs in the ACC tournament after years of dormancy there. I mean, like years and years. Um, So, I mean, yeah, I mean, only one team gets to win the national title at the end of the year. Um, I mean, think about all the other good teams there are around the country. It's it's easy to be like, why us, why us, why us? But, like, how many teams actually get to win? Just one. I mean, for all the talk about how good Michigan State's been, uh, I mean, they lost in the first round this year. And they haven't won at all since 2000. So it's not like, I mean, they get to go every year and play for the title. Um, and that's what you kind of expire, aspire to be, is just a team like that. So, I mean, I think it's kind of, like, foolish to just be like, well, you know, because you might look back a couple years from now, I mean, I don't think this will happen, but think about how UVA fans felt five years ago, thinking back on that, like, 95 team and the other teams that made deep runs. Um, I don't, I mean, this is the first lead A game I've ever seen UVA play. So, uh, I mean... I mean, because the last it was one much was better six. than the last one. I could tell oh, you that. I was, yeah, I was five years old the last time they played in it, and I was my mom was a senior in high school the last time they made the final four. I so, want to say
1: the last elite eight they lost one hundred and two to sixty five. if I remember correct?ly I mean, it was yeah. I
2: mean, I don't, I don't even that's just like a historical footnote because I don't even know <laughs> who they played in that game. Arkansas, I think Kansas, Arkansas. Okay, all right, Arkansas. I think that's right, isn't it? Arkansas is just Kansas with AR in front of it, though.
1: <laughs> is it Arkansas or Michigan? No, Michigan was a non tier year. So it was, yeah, it had to be Arkansas. They just housed us.
2: Yeah. I mean, and the sting of this loss will fade. I mean, people will, people like, year, a year from now, we'll look back on it and be like, man, that was kind of a crappy loss, but it's, it won't hurt. You know what I mean? It'll. I mean, it's just one of those things where you kind of have to enjoy the run. It's a five-month season. Um, And like I said, it comes down to a single elimination tournament where you roll the balls out and see what happens. West Virginia was a great team, and they lost to Stephen F. Austin. Like, I mean, you just don't know. Um, But, I mean, the run ends for everybody sometime. That's why they have one shining moment at the end of the tournament. Um, But (laughs) it's just, it is what it is, man. I mean, you you can't have it all. So I think UVA fans have been blessed with, like, a great coach and a really talented roster full of people who, have been like high character people and funny and interesting to cover at least for me i think brad would agree with that so yeah, brad um, would agree with that. so i mean like you can't have it all but uva fans have had a lot so uh dave you're yeah right? before i'm completely on, wrong it was wait, like,
0: wait. i'm yeah, thinking of wrong. the
2: uh 89 season we got housed. yeah
0: you're wrong yeah. it was uh 95 they beat kansas yeah and um, then lost to arkansas and then right? lost arkansas by it looks like by seven
1: seven yeah um, i don't think it was that close but it was, I think it was Michigan that just completely destroyed us, maybe in 89, the year they won it all. Um, anyway, not to keep looking up Virginia stats,
0: but, yeah, that was a bad year. Corliss Williamson scored 21 and 9 in that game in 35 minutes. Corliss? Corliss Williamson had three assists. He had a team-high three assists in that win. Uh, junior Burrow carried UVA, had 22 and 16. Whew! 16 in an Elite Eight game. Uh, Staples had 16. Harold Dean had 12. Why am I looking? You got me looking at the box score from 1995. <laughs> All right, that's a, that's a good time to cut this thing off. Thank you, for everybody out there. Thank you guys for being on the show. For David Spence, for uh, Justin Ferber, I am Brad Franklin, the publisher of Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.